Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 19. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We are nearing... The end, here in chapter 19, we come to the second coming of Jesus Christ, if you're taking notes. The second coming of Jesus Christ. You know, it was the first and second service that I said, I'm surprised it didn't happen here. I said, we're, we're coming to the end, nearing the end of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In both services, someone said, yay! And I thought, you know, that's a good title for this chapter, actually. Yay! The second coming of Jesus Christ. It's a great chapter. Now, we know this book was not written by man. We know that this book was written by the Holy Spirit. What do you mean, Rodney? How do you know that? Last week, if you were with us, you know we talked about chapter 19 being the story of two dinners, two feasts, two suppers. And we talked about the first, the marriage supper of the Lamb this morning we have a brief description of the second dinner or the second supper as the armies of the world gather together in the valley of Megiddo to do battle against Jesus Christ. This angel steps forward and the Lord slays all these armies and the angel calls forth the fowl, the vultures to come and to have dinner to feast on the armies of the Lord. Now, chapter 19, these two dinners, the second coming of Jesus Christ, everything, listen, the whole book, all that we've studied so far, this whole book, this whole revelation has been building up to chapter 19. The whole book has been building up to this moment. Now, if you've been with us, study after study, after study, after study, after study, you know chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, you guessed it, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, Chapter 14, 15, and 16, all of those chapters speak of, tell us about the time of Jacob's trouble 
A time on the earth that Jesus talked about that the world has never seen nor will ever see again. A time known as the Great Tribulation. And it is during the tribulation period that the seal number one, seal number two, seal number three, seal number four, five, six, and seven are released upon the earth. Judgments come upon the earth. And just when you think it's enough, trumpet number one, trumpet number two, trumpet number three, trumpet number four, through trumpet number seven, is released upon the earth. Blown and judgment, blood and gore. People are being stung by demonic-looking locusts. People experience problems and pain and there's panic and pandemonium. And just when you think, enough is enough, well then we have bowl number one, bowl number two, bowl number three, bowl number four, through bowl number seven. All of these judgments lead up to chapter 19, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, the second coming, chapter 19, is relatively a very short chapter. It's quick. It's short. 21 verses about Jesus coming. That's it. Oy vey. What's up with that? I mean, it's a... The second coming of Jesus, it's over. Now, we know that this book is not written by men, but written by the Holy Spirit, because if man wrote it or I wrote it, I, would have, I wouldn't have gone through seals and trumpets and, and all of this. I would have said, look, look, a bunch of bad stuff happened, y'all. It's ugly. It's brutal. And then get to the second coming. And I would have spent many, many chapters, so would you, so would any man spend many chapters talking about the glorious return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ, you know, that's what I would have done. So we know that the Holy Spirit has written this book because The Holy Spirit spells it out. Why? Why? Because God, I think, wants us to be very clear concerning his judgment. Why? Because there are people who mock him. There are people who say, well, if he hasn't come so far, he probably is not coming. I mean, look, Rodney, it's been 2,000 years. He hadn't come yet. Where is he? Well, read ahead. He is going to come, and these judgments will come upon the earth. The book of Revelation, prophecy. Now let's understand something here. Pastor John. John's a pastor. He's a normal guy, a pastor. He's a real pastor. And the, this real pastor is writing to real people. Real people who attend a real church. Chapter 2 and 3. And as a pastor... John is writing these people from the heart of a pastor. You see, when we study the book of Revelation, we study it because we are seeking to determine the the nuances of prophecy. 
and the insights of prophecy. And we read Revelation and we take today's newspaper or CNN and MSNBC and we see what's going on in the Middle East and we go, see, yeah, the Bible says that. Oh, yeah, man, look, the Bible says that's what's going to be happening. You guys better get saved. I mean, this is stuff that's going to come on the earth. That's the way we read this book. But let's understand something. Pastor John, he doesn't he didn't write it with that in mind. He wrote this book to encourage believers, to encourage people, his congregants, the sheep. He had a heart for the sheep. He loved the sheep as a pastor loves the sheep. And these sheep, these congregants, these people who were going to a real church, they were being persecuted under Diocletian. The emperor is Diocletian. And they were being persecuted under the throne of Rome. They were being fed to the lions and they were being dipped in hot wax and slaughtered and cut in half and carried away and crucified upside down. They were being butchered. And John is writing these Christians, these Christians who are suffering, not with the concern. Understand this here. If you don't understand this, you're going to come to this this book. You're going to come to this this prophecy and you're not going to get it. You're going to miss it. John is writing with the concern for the people to encourage them. Why? Because they're suffering under the throne of Rome. And so chapter 4, really interesting, John is caught up in the heaven, and the first thing he sees is what? A throne that's set in heaven, and it's beautiful, and it's colors and prisms, and and the sea of glass. And so John is writing them to encourage these believers that although they are suffering under the throne of Rome, Take heart, there is a throne set in heaven for you that if you would set your mind on heavenly things, then you can endure the persecution that you are currently going through. That's why John is writing them, not with the insights and nuances of prophecy, but Christians take heart. Be encouraged. So chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, seal after seal after seal, trumpet after trumpet after trumpet, all of these things are leading up to chapter 19 to tell these believers who are suffering, Jesus is coming. Yay. Chapter 19. Beginning in verse 11, if you're there, say a hearty amen. Now I saw, John says in verse 11, I saw heaven open. Would you underline that? I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called, what? The Word of God. Well, the armies in heaven, verse 14, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, they followed him on the white horse. Stop right there. Give me your attention, if you will. Notice in verse 1, John says that I saw a door open in heaven. Now, this is the second time that we have seen a door opened in heaven. 
The first time is found in chapter 4. You remember, I just mentioned it a few moments ago. Chapter 2 and 3, we see church history. Seven messages to seven churches given in chronological order from Ephesus to Laodicea. Chapters 2 and 3, the church. And then in chapter 4, John, as I said, is caught up in heaven. What happened was he, he heard a voice saying, come up here. And he saw a door open in heaven. And there we see in chapter 4 what I believe to be the rapture of the church. Chapter 4 speaks of the rapture of the church. And here again we see the door of heaven is open. Notice a second time. This time though, the first time the door was open that John or the church might go up. We don't see any mention of the church until here in chapter 19. Very interesting. Okay. So John is caught up. He goes up into heaven. The door was open so that John, the church, could go up into heaven, which I believe speaks of the rapture of the church. Here, the second time this door is open, not that the church might go up, but that Jesus might come down. You see, the rider on the white horse here is Jesus Christ. Now, here is the study of end times. Your word for the day, eschatology, it means the study of end times. Eschatology 101. Write this down if you're taking notes. The rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ are two different and distinct events in the scriptures. The rapture of the church... And the second coming are two different events. How so, Rodney? Well, the rapture of the church, Jesus is coming for the church. You know, Thessalonians tells us he comes in the clouds. He calls us, we are raptured, we meet him in the clouds, and we kind of go off to heaven together. The rapture of the church, Jesus is coming for the church. The second coming, Jesus is coming not for the church, but with the church. Two distinct events. And it's interesting because both of them, although they are different events, they actually fulfill one beautiful picture of the wedding feast. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here, I think it was an important strategic teaching that you might want to pick up the CD or pick up the tape. The door is open and the rider on the white horse appears. Now, the rider is Jesus Christ. He's on a white horse. It is interesting to me. Stay with me here. Interesting to me, John's perception, what John saw in the person of Jesus, the contrast of what John saw in the Gospels and what he sees here in the book of Revelation concerning Jesus Christ. The contrast is very, very interesting to me, the way that John sees Jesus now. Remember, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation are all written by the same John. Okay? So, John In the Gospels, when he saw Jesus, the contrasts are very interesting. For example, the last time that John saw Jesus 
riding was not on a horse, but was on a donkey. Oh, you remember the story? Jesus is riding on a donkey coming into Jerusalem. The people are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is riding on this donkey. Now the donkey, the animal, the donkey speaks of humility. And that's why the Pharisees and the scribes, they could not believe that Jesus was the king. Because kings don't ride donkeys. Kings ride horses. The donkey speaks of humility. The horse, write this down, speaks of wealth, power, victory, and swiftness. Wealth because the only only wealthy people would ride a horse. Kings and princes would ride a horse. Power because to the Jews, the horse symbolizes great force. And great armies like the Roman army and the Grecian army came riding in on horses. And the horse also speaks of victory. When a Roman general general would return from a victorious battle, he would ride a white horse and swiftness. Swiftness, the horse spoke of swiftness or quick. The horse spoke of quickness. So when Jesus comes riding this white horse, he's coming to conquer his enemies. And it will be swift and it will be quick. So Jesus is riding this horse and notice his name. He is called faithful and true. Did you see that in verse one? He's called faithful and true. In other words, what Jesus says cannot be distorted or diluted or falsified in any way. What he says is true and trustworthy, and reliable. And then again, notice the contrast of what John sees in verse 12. In verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire. You see that? Now, the last time Jesus or John looked in the eyes of Jesus, he didn't see eyes that were full of fire. He saw eyes that were full of tears. As he stood and he wept over Jerusalem. Eyes that were full of tears as he stood at the grave of Lazarus. You know the story. John saw eyes that were gleaming because the centurion was a man of faith. And he said, Lord, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word. John saw eyes of compassion. And love, because Jesus loved kids, and he loved people. And Jesus would spend time with the kids and say, hey, let them come, and let me hug them. Eyes of compassion. The contrast, interesting. So now John sees Jesus' eyes, and they are full of fire. Eyes of fire. Now, fire, if you're taking notes, speaks of judgment. John sees eyes that are piercing and penetrating from which nothing can be hid. You know the verse is found in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know, sometimes we think we're hiding from the Lord and we're not. 
all things are naked and open to him to whom we must give account. His eyes are flames of fire. Now, fire. Fire can be good. Listen, fire can be good depending on your relationship to it. What do you mean, Rodney? Well, think about like this here. Fire in a fireplace. Nice, warm, cozy up with your spouse. (laughs) Say amen. (laughs) All right, y'all. Nice, warm, loving, light, cozy. Fire in the fireplace is good. Take that same fire out of the fireplace and it's raging through your apartment. It's raging through your house. It's not light and love and warm and cozy. It's terrifying. It's destructive and it's all consuming. You know, the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. So fire is good depending on your relationship to it. Now, if you're here this morning and you know God and God knows you and you're walking in fellowship with God and you're loving God, then those eyes that you see are comforting and reassuring and warm and inviting. But if you're not walking with the Lord and you're playing around with sin, then these eyes are piercing and convicting and then worse yet. Worse yet, if you're here this morning and you have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ and you are not born again, well, then those eyes will be eyes that judge you. You know, the Bible says that God is going to come again someday and every man, you know, as a pastor, I do funerals all the time, pretty on a regular basis, to tell you the truth. And it never ceases to amaze me how many people prepare for life, but they never prepare for death. We don't prepare for death. I mean, I guess we get funeral insurance and now people are pre-buying their plot, which to me is morbid. I'm not, I want to leave my kids with all the debt I can possibly leave them with. (laughs) Just a No, I'm not going to pre-buy it. No, no, no. No, I want them to pay. You're going to pay. I've been paying. You're going to pay. So I guess we prepare in that way, but, but do we prepare our souls? The fact is that someday every man is going to stand before God and God is going to judge you. Those eyes will be eyes that judge you someday. Where are you with the Lord? Where are you? Are you walking with him? Do you know him? Are you born again? You know, and God knows, because all things are naked and open to him with whom we must give an account. Well, notice also the contrast. Again, in verse 12, John turns our attention from the eyes to the many crowns. Now, the last time that John saw Jesus wearing a crown was when? The crown of thorns that was plaited and placed on his head and blood began to to flow down his face. And now John sees Jesus wearing not just one crown, but many crowns, a diadem. 
a diadem that speaks of royalty. It's the crown of royalty, the crown of authority. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate authority and power and ultimate sovereignty. And notice again in verse 12, he has a name written that no one knows. In other words, he has a name written that no one knows. Ooh, that's deep, Rodney. No one knows. You know, some, I was telling them last service, I'm sure that someone's going to write a book about this. And it's like, why would anybody buy it? It's a name written that no one knows. No one knows. It doesn't tell us. But what this does tell us is that when we get to heaven, we are going to learn something about Jesus. We're going to learn something that we didn't know. Sometimes we think, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll know as we are known and all things will be revealed to us and we will know everything. Well, no, there are still things yet to learn that you will learn in heaven. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.